Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad to be with you guys this afternoon. If you want to take part in the conversation, 232-1542. Now, before we continue, I will lay it all out here. I'm not talking about the Biden crack pipe program. Not doing that today. Until I can figure out if this was a proposal from Hunter. But until I get there, we're not going to talk about the Biden crack pipe program. However, what I want to do is I want to kind of veer off the beaten path a bit. There is something I want to talk about today. Uh, it's, it's a story nobody's really talking about. You see a story here or there. But I think I saw a link at the advertiser on it. And that's really been it. You may not know, unless you are in or adjacent to the education system, that the state of Louisiana is currently revamping its social study standards for K-12. through And there are a lot of changes that are being proposed, and they are changes that we need to talk about. I wrote about this and published it a little while ago at, at, my, uh, at my newsletter, kitchenpundit.substack.com. I may have to change that name to reflect the show, but right now it's Kitchen Pundit. Um, <clears throat> I like what I'm seeing so far, and I want to take some time to explain it. And we may have to run long in this segment, Mark, in order, to, uh, in order for me to get every because I don't want to be interrupted, but when we come back, if you guys want to call in 232-1542 to take part in this and kind of give me your feedback on, on what you think. Every seven or so years, the state is supposed to update its social study standards, and we haven't done it for like 10 years. So we're a few years behind, and we're working on it now as a state. The, the Department of Education, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, everybody's working to come up with a new series of social study standards. I want to break this up into three groups, elementary, middle school, and high school, and talk about the big changes that we're going to see. And I want to start by explaining any time that I've taught social studies. I've always explained to students that social studies is divided into five areas, and, and four of them are covered under the, the K-12 standards. The fifth one is more of a collegiate level thing, but I always threw a little bit into my classes so that the students can understand. You have history, geography, civics, and economics. Those are the four key parts of social studies that every K-12 student learns. Inevitably, what gets mixed up in that is the fifth area, which is sociology. So if you were to, to put it like this, history is the study of how people change. Geography is the study of how people develop based on the surroundings uh, that, they are, that they find themselves in. Civics is the study of how people organize. Economics is the study of how people develop. I'm sorry, not how, of how people grow and how people enrich themselves and how people progress. And sociology is the study of how people interact. And the standards that we currently have, that we've currently been teaching under, do address these things. Let me be clear. I'm, I don't dislike the current state of standards. But what's being proposed here, based on what 
we can see in the standards. They're publicly available. I, on, on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, I posted a link to uh, my column at Substack, but I'm going to go ahead and post a direct link to these revised standards so you can go see. And actually, on the State uh, Department of Ed's website, LouisianaBelieves.com, you can uh, you can search there and you can find a link to a Google form that's the the it's it's for public feedback. I encourage you to find that and uh, go give your feedback to this as well. Um. So here's the change. Let's start at the elementary level. For however long the, the standards have been around, sixth grade social studies has been world civilizations, meaning that we teach everything from pre-civilization humanity, so even before hunters and gatherers, really. Uh, when people first realized that, hey, if you stopped wandering around and you settled down near a body of water, animals came to feed there and you could hunt the animals right there and you could plant stuff there and use the water to help those plants grow. You study from that point of human history in sixth grade currently through the Renaissance. That is um, a lot of content. We're talking pre-civilization humanity, uh, Mesopotamia, Egypt, India, China, um, medieval Europe, Greece, Rome, uh, the African nations, and all that all the way up to the Renaissance. The Americas, uh, the, 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 the indigenous tribes of the Americas, all that up through the Renaissance. That's a ton of information for sixth grade students to learn. So the elementary change is that there is, in K through 3, there is a fundamental uh, introduction to what history, geography, all of that is, citizenship and all that. And then in fourth grade, you get world civilization from pre-civilization humanity up to Greece and Rome, which cuts down on a lot of that content. Now, Greece and Rome themselves could fill an entire year of study. But the fourth grade curriculum, or the fourth grade content and standards, rather, will cover that. Fifth grade content and standards will cover from the medieval Europe, African nations, all the way up through the Renaissance. This splits a lot of content into something a lot more manageable, even at the fourth and fifth grade level. It's still a lot more manageable. And students have the opportunity to explore the material and develop a deeper understanding. That's the big change for elementary. And I really, really like that change. In middle school, since you're taking that content away from sixth grade, what they've done is they've taken U.S. history that's taught in seventh grade and taken the Louisiana history that's taught in eighth grade, and they're now spreading that out over the middle school levels. So sixth grade will be U.S. history from the age of exploration, Columbus and all that, up to the ratification, up through the ratification of the Constitution. Seventh grade will be the early republic up through Reconstruction. And eighth grade will be post-Reconstruction to the modern era. And your content and standards reflect that. Your standardized tests will reflect that. Again, even though it's a much shorter period of time, 
this few hundred years span here is still an incredible um, an incredible amount of information that goes into this. Splitting that up over three years makes a lot of sense. It also gives students time to dive into some key topics they may not get to really discuss in a single year in seventh grade. The big change in high school then comes in two parts. Now, the first part is a standards change. And the standards for U.S. history in high school are now Age of Exploration, Columbus, and all that up through the modern era. Up until now, it's been post-Reconstruction to the modern era, kind of picking up where seventh grade leaves off. The problem is U.S. history is typically taught to juniors, so you have from the end of your seventh grade year to the end of your junior year where you can lose a whole lot. Now, you can pick up and go into even deeper understanding of some heavier topics under the new standards. This is what's being proposed. This is what's up for public discussion at the Louisiana Department of Education, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. These are good changes. The other change for high school, this is kind of one of the worst-kept secrets. This is what's been talked about for a while. I don't think we've seen official confirmation yet, but I think it's, it's where we're headed. It's what everybody in education is pretty much saying is going to happen. The standardized test for social studies in high school is switching from U.S. history to civics. So we'll have a greater emphasis on civics education in the state of Louisiana as well, which is very much needed because when you look at uh, test performance data across the state, civics is one of those areas that really, really performs low. And we see that actually across the country. Civics education across the country is just not very good. We're losing, I mean, and you can tell by looking at the state of the politicians we send to Washington, D.C. And, and to our state capitals and everything like that. But these are the changes that we're seeing in the standards in public education for social studies. And there's a reason I'm diving into all this. And so what I want to do is I want to go ahead and take the break now. If you want to call in and, and have any comment on this, 232-1542. But when we come back, I also want to explain why this is so important in the context of the political fights we're having in education. This is the Joe Cunningham Show. Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 965 KPL. We're going to take a break, and we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Joe Cunningham here in the studio. If you want to join in the conversation, 232-1542. You can also join me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. In fact, I just posted a link to the revised standards. So there's two links that I put up on my Facebook page today. The first is my column, my analysis, kind of breaking things down, just like I did on the air here. And the second link that I just posted, the most recent one, is the link to the actual revised standards themselves. Like I said, these are, are really good changes to the standards. But what I want to do is now kind of explain in the broader context of these discussions that we're having in politics about education and why I really want to talk about this today. The fight in education right now, well, there's two fights, but one of them's not really a focus here. It's the whole mask in schools thing. We're having a little bit of that, but not much. And it's not making headlines here like it is elsewhere. In the state of Louisiana and elsewhere, critical race theory comes up as a topic of conversation. And in fact, the article that I was referencing at the Daily Advertiser um, is, a, is a network article on the uh, on 
how these standards, you know, on, on the fact that these standards don't, don't include critical race theory. And when you hear something like that, or when you see somebody write or say something like that, it's clear that the, the fundamental idea of what critical race theory is, is still kind of lost. Critical race theory is not content. It's not a curriculum. It's a teach. It's a teaching methodology. The teacher chooses by way of personal worldview to include, to include a race centric focus in the classroom and make everything viewable through the lens of race. So critical race theory um, critics are typically talking about what's taught in the classroom, and the focus really needs to be on how it's taught in the classroom. And that's also a problem that the anti-critical race theory critics, the, the people who criticize those who are anti-CRT, that's the mistake they make. They are accusing the anti-CRT folks of wanting to take out the uncomfortable topics of education from our school systems. And that's not the case either. You don't have to be all in on critical race theory in order to teach the uncomfortable things. In teaching U.S. history, you have to address racism. You have to address slavery. You have to address the three-fifths compromise. You have to address... Jim Crow, the Fugitive Slave Acts, Plessy versus Ferguson, the Black Codes. You have to discuss the Civil War. You have to discuss Reconstruction. You have to discuss all of these things. All the standards that we currently have and the revamped ones include those topics. And not just those. Treatment of the indigenous peoples of America. Westward expansion and the devastation brought to the Indian nations. Our treatment of immigrant groups like the Chinese. All of this is covered in these standards. To say that this is not a set of standards that includes critical race theory is nonsense. Critical race theory has nothing to do with the standards. Critical race theory is a teaching methodology. It's how a teacher runs the classroom. School systems that are introducing critical race theory, whether or not they, they acknowledge that they are, are giving their teachers trainings on how to approach topics in the classroom. It's not a curriculum. The only probably critical race theory curriculum out there is the 1619 Project. And it has been debunked by credible historians left, right, and center. But there is no actual curriculum out there that is. This is a CRT curriculum, unless it's a, a college level sociology course. But you're not seeing an actual CRT class or anything like that in our high schools. And a lot of people kind of misunderstand because of it. You don't need critical race theory to teach these topics. We should be teaching these topics. We need to address these things in American history. They are not the primary foundation of American history as Nicole Hannah-Jones, or Han Hannah Nicole Jones, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yeah, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Sorry, that's too many first names. Um, Nicole Hannah-Jones and the 1619 Project 
Um, they want you to believe that the entire foundation of American history is slavery and racism, and that's wrong. You cannot teach American history, though, without mentioning those things. And there's nobody, there's no credible person that, that thinks you should. There's no credible person who is in charge of any sort of social studies teaching or curriculum or standards or anything like that who says, you know, let's take the emphasis off slavery. I mean, even in the states where the anti-CRT stuff it has made headlines, Florida's standards still require you to teach about those things. The standards in Texas still require you to teach about those things. Alabama, Mississippi, all these southern states, Louisiana too. None of these states that actually have tried to make moves against critical race theory have done anything to address that content, those standards. Because that's not what critical race theory is. And it was, I think, last week when I talked about uh, the legislation that was put forth here in Louisiana, the critical race theory bill that isn't. Because critical race theory is not something that you teach. It is the lens you teach through. It is the lens that you force students to look through. And that's what we need to avoid in our classrooms. Teaching should be like journalism in that it should be objective. History is what happened. It is the study of what happened. Geography is the study of where it happened. Civics is the study of how people organized. And economics is how people developed through it. It's all objective, just like journalism should be. But sometimes we don't get that. What we need to realize when we look at these history standards or any standards for any subject area, because you can, you can make claims about racial or minority equity or marginalized group equity in English and language arts. In math, you can make those claims in any content area if you wanted to. But that's not the point of critical race theory. It's not the content, it's how you teach it. And we need to avoid trying to make that the focus of all of our teaching. 232-1542, when we come back, want to talk about the new Gary Chambers ad because he's at it again and getting some recognition for it. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 965 KPL. 232-1542 if you want to join in. This is Joe Cunningham on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPEL. Gary Chambers is at it again. This time with another viral campaign ad. He's dropping these campaign ads on the internet. These are not ads that he's, you know, putting all over television because that costs a lot of money. And right now his campaign is trying to raise money. But this particular ad features him burning a Confederate flag. And this ad uh, is called the Scars and Bars ad. And he's talking about the redistricting effort in Baton Rouge. And he says in this commercial, gerrymandered districts are a byproduct of the Confederacy. It's time to burn what remains of the Confederacy down. I do believe the South will rise again, but it will be on our terms. This is... Probably one of my least favorite talking points is this remnant of the Confederacy thing. Um, remnant of Jim Crow, remnant of the Confederacy, all of that. But this isn't about the actual 
you know, the, the actual issue of of redistricting. Again, Gary Chambers is doing exactly what he needs to do to get 60% of the Democratic Party that is black voter on his side. And he's doing so very, very effectively. You and I may not like that ad. A lot of you may not like the marijuana ad. The marijuana ad got 6.6 million views on Twitter. It got national exposure. To be honest, his message wasn't entirely off in that ad. The Confederate ad, though, is now more targeted. It's now Louisiana-centric. It is now focusing on the big issue of the moment. He's now going from this broad criminal justice subject to this very narrow contemporary issue. But he's using National Democratic Party messaging on this, this remnant of the Confederacy thing, the gerrymandering thing. These are talking points of the National Democratic Party as well as here in the state. And this is going to continue to make him the favorite, not in 2022, but in 2023. I will be very, I could be wrong. I could be very off here. I don't think I am. I think Gary Chambers is running for governor in 2023, and this is his campaign getting off the ground. Right now, he's, he's running against John Kennedy because that gives him the opportunity to run in the entire state. He's already run a congressional campaign in the heart of the state, at the Capitol. He's from Baton Rouge. He ran, for, he ran in a congressional race, and he came very close. He was a close start. He was close to getting into the runoff. A virtual nobody with, that nobody had ever heard of outside of activist circles. And he, came, he was a very close start in a congressional race. And now he's laying a statewide foundation with a Senate race. He does not have time to wait for another statewide cycle and wait until 2027. He's going to lay that statewide network now in, ahead of 2023. And it is a smart political play on his part. Forget the actual content of the ads other than to say this is him solidifying his support among black voters before any white Democrat with money can get in there and do so. That's his goal. His goal is to get the majority of the Democratic vote by getting all of the black voters in the Democratic Party out for him immediately. Think about it. The big talking point in Baton Rouge right now is that we need a second majority-minority district because six, uh, because 30% of the state, a third of the state, is black. If that's the case, if he can get every one of those voters out there in 2022, he's not going to win. But depending on how well Luke Mixon does, he could push Kennedy into a runoff. But if he doesn't, if, it, if Kennedy wins with about 60-65% as he's expected to, we'll just think he, Chambers has the potential to get near a third of the state voting for him statewide in 2022. 
has the potential for that. And with these ad campaigns, he's doing that. And that is a huge, huge benefit for him ahead of 2023. Now, what if he doesn't run in 2023? But he's laid this foundation. He's got this statewide recognition. He can be kingmaker in his own party. Forget what John Bell, forget what Luke Mixon, forget what the white Democratic uh, consultants of the party think. It's Gary Chambers' time to pick the king, to pick the person who will run as a Democratic candidate in 2023 to replace John Bell Edwards. We already know that we're going to have a pretty pretty rough fight in the Republican Party. You've got Schroeder, Landry, and Nungesser. Nungesser is going to be the moderate candidate. You've got two other conservatives there who will be fighting each other, who have to fight each other without fighting each other, because we've had Republicans fighting each other by fighting each other, and it's not worked out well. But Chambers can either run in 2023, or he can pick the person to run in 2023. I think he's running. There's a reason he did a tour with all the pot smokers and pot manufacturers in California, he needed that lobbying money to go to his campaign. Not just now, but in 2023. I'm going to keep saying 2023 because I want to instill in everybody's minds that Gary Chambers is ostensibly running for Senate. But this is a campaign for governor in 2023. John Bell Edwards is term limited. He wants his successor to be a Luke Mixon type. Luke Mixon is probably somebody y'all only hear about when Moon talks about him or when I talk about him. Nobody is talking about Luke Mixon. Not even The Advocate, which ran a bunch of stories propping him up early on in his candidacy. But he's already dropped off. He's not raising money. People aren't seeing Luke Mixon. They aren't going and searching for him. They aren't saying, Who? who's that upstanding kind of moderate Democrat guy running against John Kennedy? No, they're not looking for that. They know, hey, there's John Kennedy. Everybody in the media loves him because he gives some great sound bites. Or, hey, there's Gary Chambers. He smoked pot in an ad, and he had some stuff to say on criminal justice reform. Let's hear more of what that guy has to say. And you know what? That's fine for Chambers. He doesn't have to win. He doesn't even have to come close in 2022. He does not have to come close to Kennedy this year. I imagine he will surprise everybody. I think he's going to get a decent percentage, and I expect to even be surprised. Kennedy probably won't need a runoff, but Chambers' numbers will be impressive enough that he has a serious play next year. And so when he releases an ad talking about gerrymandered districts or the byproduct of the Confederacy, he's not talking about something the U.S. Senate will take up. Senate seats are statewide. They can't be gerrymandered, unless you want to call the states gerrymandered, which is a whole different argument. You don't run an ad on gerrymandered districts unless your eyes are firmly on what's happening in the state. If Chambers is running a serious ad for a federal seat, he's going to talk about those issues. How can he represent Louisiana in Washington, D.C.? But if we're talking about gerrymandered districts in the state of Louisiana, then he's running for office in Louisiana. He's running for some office somewhere in the state. And you can guarantee that he's looking at governor because it's the perfect time. 
because John Bell Edwards is term limited and there is no successor. And anybody with half a brain in politics is going to see that that's the best opportunity for an up-and-coming Democrat to make their names known. And that's what Chambers is doing. That's what he's going for here. And you're going to see, remember after the pot ad, John Bill Edwards had some negative things to say about it. He does not like Chambers' candidacy because he knows what's coming. And John Bill Edwards and his lackeys are going to continue dropping some stuff, dropping some little one-liners, maybe dropping some opposition research against Chambers. They don't want him to run because they see the threat to their own power. 232-1542, we're going to go ahead and take another break, come back for our last segment of the day. When we come back, what do conservatives need to call themselves? And what do we call people who were in the conservative movement but may have moved on because of Trump? I want to talk about that because that's a conversation I had with some friends today. And I want to talk about that when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Glad to be with you all today. All right. If you want to call in 232-1542, you want to follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Catch me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. I have a question for y'all. You can call in and you can answer that. You can ask me on social media. But I need to know, have the labels changed? The post-Trump era of the conservative movement looks a lot different than the pre-Trump era. Take guys like neoconservatives, uh, Bill Kristol, uh, Charlie Sykes, a bunch of these commentators uh, who made their names in the, in the neocon, more establishment circle of the GOP. These are guys who are actively rooting against Republicans and rooting for Democrats. They said they, they wanted the Republican Party to return to normal after Trump, to move on beyond Trump, but they are doing everything they can to actively sabotage the party they claim fealty to. Are they still conservatives? They, would, well, they want to claim they are. The media likes to claim they are so they can use them to bludgeon actual conservatives. I, I think that they're more values mercenaries than anything else. They will change their values based on who's paying the most or who's giving them the most clout. There's actually a, uh, 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 from the New Republic, there's a piece in 2014. Uh, Christopher Terry, who worked with uh, Mark Belling at WSIN and now teaches at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, says that Belling is more of a true believer, whereas if Charlie Sykes thought there was money on the other side of the street, he would sell out in a second, which is really kind of, the truth about a lot of these guys who are so anti-Trump that they are now anti-Republican Party in general, and they are actively rooting against conservative causes. But what about the rest of the conservative movement? I think the big tent has changed. You know, we have this idea in politics, big tent politics, where we invite different viewpoints in so long as we're kind of you know, all kind of going in the same direction. And right now, the tent seems to be shifting a little bit as the neocon establishment types, really technocratic Republicans, are leaving the big tent. So who's taking their place? Um, it's funny. 
look at some of the names that conservatives are kind of latching on to. Bill Maher is not a conservative, but a lot of conservatives like what he's saying right now about the anti-woke and all of this, the, the anti-woke stuff that's out there. Um, you know, all the wokeness and everything, it's ruining comedy. A lot of comedians that are very progressive are speaking out and saying, this, is, this isn't working. You, you guys are running people off. This is, you're trying to cancel us over this. It's weird. Consider uh, not just Bill Maher, uh, Russell Brand. He's progressive entertainer, progressive comic, but he is out there, among other things, doing a fantastic mocking impression of Brian Stelter of CNN. But in general, he's, you know, he's talked a lot about this. Gwen Stefani um, has been out there and, and talked on these things. There's a lot of celebrities. Uh, Dave Chappelle is, is hailed by the right because he's, he's not backing down to the woke mob. Joe Rogan's the same way. Joe Rogan supported Bernie Sanders. He's not a conservative. I think what you could probably call them is industry libertarians. These these folks who are libertarian when it comes to the industry they work in, a lot of them's com- uh, a lot of them are comedians who see the stage as under threat because of the woke mob coming after them for jokes. You have the people, the conservatives who are more pro-Trump than they are pro-conservative. And you have to find a way to keep them in the tent. You can continue to call them the MAGA conservatives if you want to, or the Trump conservatives. Uh, but a lot of them are, are, are more into the cult of personality than they are the conservative movement or the Republican Party. Well, let's throw the Republican Party out of it, because I'm not a member of the Republican Party. I'm, I'm not a fan of party politics. They typically are more aligned with me than not. And I say with me because I'm not aligning with anybody. They have to come to me if they want me, want my vote. But you have a lot of liberals who are horrified at what the ultra-progressives in their movement are doing. It's, it's a very circular thing. The casual cultural liberals set the groundwork and then watch as the political progressives came in and took it too far and started running everybody else out of the room, and the casual liberals are now horrified and are sometimes siding with the conservatives. There's no one conservative tent anymore, I don't think. It's more like a campsite where a lot of people in smaller tents are coming together because they see something is happening off in the distance, and they want to unite with other people who feel the same way they do about certain things. Speech, wokeness, all of that seems to be the next cultural fight that we're about to have. In education, we talk about the critical race theory stuff. We're talking about the school boards and the unions that have actively called parents terrorists and have fought against parents having involvement in their child's school system. So you have concerned parents, a lot of whom are more moderate and some even left-leaning uh, suburban moms and suburban families who don't like what Democrat-controlled unions and school boards are doing. And so they're voting Republican now. And a growing number of black voters and a growing number of Latino and Hispanic voters are horrified at what the super-woke, ultra-progressive, and mostly white people of the Democratic Party are doing. 
and they're switching to the Republican Party right now. And you won't have some of these comedians, some of these industry libertarians, if you will, siding with the progressives for a while because the progressives are trying to ruin their careers. I think the idea of the big tent is over. I think the idea of the one label is over. And it's incumbent on Republicans to seize on this in a way that doesn't scare these folks off. And you see a little bit, the book banning stories, um, these anti-CRT bills, like the one that was introduced here in Louisiana that really isn't an anti-CRT bill, um, overreaching and trying to assume too much control in your direction rather than just getting rid of government control in general will scare people off. You know the one thing, though? The one issue that won't scare people off like the media constantly assumes it will? Abortion. Public opinion, very quietly, underneath the service, has actually shifted a little bit on abortion. You're seeing little bits of change, and people aren't as angry and riled up about it. And you know how we know this? Because it's not dominating the headlines anymore either. You don't hear a whole lot of mass media panic about abortion right now because they're worried about all the other grounds they're losing on. Thank you guys very much for joining me today here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 965 KPL. I'll join you again tomorrow. We'll have a lot more to talk about here right uh, on the Joe Cunningham Show. Talk to you guys in 23 hours.